From Acts chapter 15 to 18, we find a summary of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul, Silas and Timothy were headed to Asia to spread the gospel when the Holy Spirit rerouted them to go to Macedonia. Macedonia consists of the region of Philippi, Thessalonica and also Berea. Godly churches were established in Macedonia and at Berea the non-believing Jews that came from Thessalonica uh, were continuing to stir up trouble for the Apostle Paul and to bring about persecution upon the Christians that believed. And so Paul left Berea to go to Athens where he left Silas and Timotheus and reaching Athens Paul found that idolatry was rippled through that region and that city and Paul preaches the gospel and some of them believed and there were others that opposed or mocked and others seemed interested and wanted to know more leaving Athens Paul comes to Corinth which leads us to our text in verse first uh, verse uh, the first verse he after these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth Corinth was the capital of Achaia was the major city of the Roman Empire. The Romans took over Corinth, and Corinth was a wealthy city, uh, simply uh, had the central junction of trade and travel. Lasciviousness and immorality was rampant and also permitted. It wasn't a crime. Uh, it was similar to our current society. There are some things that are absolutely abominable that our government does nothing about. And so Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians which depicts the struggling majority of the Christians which were influenced by the culture of Corinth. You can say, you can call Corinth Sin City. <clears throat> and in verses 2 and 3, while Paul was in Corinth, he meets Aquila and Priscilla. They were Jews, and he found them. A certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, and in verse 2, lately came from Italy, which is in Rome, with his wife Priscilla. And so we see the reason why they left Rome was because of the decree of Claudius Caesar put in place that all Jews were to flee or depart from Rome. And Paul stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, main, the main reason was the fact that he uh, simply worked the same trade which Aquila and Priscilla worked, which were tent making. Paul was willing, no doubt, to work, uh, especially in Corinth, in order for him to maintain his ministry and proves to us that he wasn't in the ministry for money. He was in the ministry to reach the souls in whom God will allow him to reach. Now, Aquila and Priscilla were devoted Jews that worked along the Apostle Paul. We're not certain whether they were saved under Paul's ministry or they were saved in Rome. Nevertheless, they were God-fearing Jews waiting for the Messiah. And now they're laboring together with the Apostle Paul. Paul spends some time with them to the very point that Aquila and Priscilla were willing to risk their lives for the cause of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, and even for the missionary, Paul the Apostle. Look at Romans chapter 16, verse 3. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks. And so Paul was so grateful for these couple that loved the Lord, feared God, and were laborers together with the Apostle Paul for the cause of Christ. In verse 4, Paul reasons out of the scriptures in Corinth in the synagogues. Have a look. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. It was a custom for the Apostle Paul, no matter what city he ended up in, he would go to the Jew first, even though his main ministry was to the Gentiles. And he would persuade them. 
And in this situation, he was persuading the Jews and the Greeks concerning the things of God. Now, to persuade simply means to convince or to lead someone to believe with no doubts. And Paul had no doubt the ability and the gifts and the knowledge to be able to lead people to the truth. And this is the whole point of persuading people, that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth, that they'll be made free. Part of the preaching ministry is to do thus. Paul says to Titus that he would hold fast the, uh, the faithful word uh, that has been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both exhort and to what? Convince the gainsayers. It's part of the ministry. Uh, today we have a ministry that is uh, simply a, a bit of shallow and sloppy that even if you begin to try to dispute and convince and reason with someone, they'll charge you with being uh, argumentative. But what you have to understand is there's always a pushback against the truth and the truth must be proclaimed in order for those that are misled or deceived to come and be freed from the poison that simply uh, uh, you know, floods our uh, churches, our countries, our families and even our own life. The only way that we can actually help people is by the words of life and preach them and persuade people and that takes time reasoning out of the scriptures uh, I was out uh, reaching a soul yesterday and came toward this man he was um, a Christadelphian I said listen it's not enough uh, to be a Christadelphian you can be a Christadelphian you can be a Jehovah's Witness you can be a Catholic you can be all these things but what you need to be is a Christian a Bible-believing Christian. It's amazing how many people claim to be Bible-believing Christians, but when you point them to the Scripture, simple verses, they do not uh, want to adhere to. It's amazing today that people claim that they love the Word and love the Bible, but when you show them truth from God's Word that stands alone, that needs no interpretation, they dismiss it and reject it. You know, there are simple truths of God's Word where you just tell people to read it and you don't have to do anything else. You say, what does that Bible verse say? It says what it says. It stands alone. You don't need any interpretation. And so there was no doubt the Apostle Paul would have used the Scriptures to persuade the Jews and the Greeks regarding the things of God. Now, I want to point out three things from our passage. Number one, Paul's passion, Paul's preaching, and Paul's pre-warning. I want you to see it. Let's look at the first together, verse 5, Paul's passion. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia... Look at this. Paul was pressed in the spirit. He was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now, first of all, Silas and Timotheus met Paul in Corinth. Paul left Silas and Timotheus in Berea, in Macedonia, when he traveled to Athens. And when Paul was in Athens, before arriving to Corinth, Paul sent word to them to join him but they ended up joining him, not, only, not in Athens, but in Corinth. And over here we see that when they arrived, Paul was pressed in his spirit. It means to be constrained, to, put, to be put under arrest. In other words, it means to be strongly burdened. And Paul was strongly burdened and, and stirred. He had this passion, listen, to preach the good news and the gospel to those people in Corinth, specifically to those Jews in the synagogue. You know, when Paul arrived in Athens, the same thing took place. He was stirred. We see it in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was what? Stirred in him 
when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. See, Paul was a man that had conviction, not only had conviction, but he had this passion for the things of God. He had the heart of God while he was in the ministry. He couldn't help himself when he saw the idolatry in Athens was rampant. The whole city worshipping idols. He was grieved. He, his spirit began to be simply stirred within him when he saw pagan gods in that uh, 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 area in Athens. Uh, the people in Athens worshipped various false gods as deity. They were uh, strong and philosophical influence. They were seeking always new things. Similar to the people in Corinth. Uh, Athens had a big Greek uh, sculpture and designs and people would go there to see them. But Paul wasn't there to sightsee. Paul was there to seek souls saved. He didn't care about sightseeing or going to see uh, different things of that nature. Paul went there to preach. Paul was stirred to go and uh, preach those things which God put in his heart. And today we see things similar to Athens, rippled with idolatry except uh, our idolatry is different. We have entertainment, we have music, we have movies. All the very things that we see today are uh, idolatry in the modern culture. And that ought to stir your heart. But you know why so many people, so many Christians are not stirred in their heart when they see our culture so dark as it is to do something, at least to go and preach. I'll tell you why. Because they're part of the problem. They're part of the problem. They're, they're, they're simply worshipping these idols the modern day culture simply has for us. And the reason why they don't have a burden or a zeal for the things of God is because they're burdened down by the idols of our culture. Paul was stirred. In other words, he was provoked uh, to, to passion. He, his heart was troubled. It was similar to what Jeremiah went through in Lamentation uh, chapter 3. The Bible says, My eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eye trickleth down and cease not with any intermission. Till the Lord looked down and behold from heaven, my eye affecteth my heart because all of all the children of my city. You know what happened to Jeremiah when he saw the problem of God's people? He affected his heart. What he saw caused his heart to be filled with emotion. And Paul was, Paul was absolutely, no doubt, moved with passion when he saw the idolatry of God's people. You know, Jesus had this zeal and passion. When he saw the people that were treating the house of God with utmost disrespect. Some say that he was out of control. He wasn't. It was passion. It was zeal. It was the spirit of God moving him as the Bible prophesied. I want you to see it in John 2. And the Jews, uh, and the Jews Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found in the temple of those that sold oxen, sheep, doves, and the changers of the money sitting. And when he had made a scourge think about that for a moment when he had made a scourge he made a scourge he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money train uh, money ch uh, charges he, he, he drove them out he overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves take these things hence and make my father's house a house of merchandise and his disciples remembered what it was written the zeal of my house had eaten me up he says get your stuff and get out of here 
That's called zeal and passion. It's not unrighteous anger. It's called passion with zeal regarding the things of God. And today, if you're passionate about something, especially about the things of God, you're charged with anger, unrighteous. No, it's passion. And by the way, let me just stop here and say that no one should ever use this passion to justify unrighteous anger. But today in our culture, there's none of that. I'll tell you why. Because they're dull, they're cowards, and they are rippled with idolatry themselves. That's, that's why. That's our current law of the CNH. Our culture is simply rippled with idolatry, uh, tr mistreating the house of God with disrespect, the fornication happens in the house of God and they want to wink at and say it's under the blood brother and you dare to do something about it you dare to have some passion they charge the preacher isn't that sad but when Paul saw it when uh, Jeremiah saw it when Jesus saw it there was a stirring up and you know what was the solution at hand the solution was simply uh, to go and preach the word and that's what he did I want you to see this. Paul would, 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 not have, would have perhaps uh, uh, preferred to wait for Silas and Timotheus, but he, he, he was stirred up to the very point that he couldn't wait. He was stirred and he was passionate. The, the Bible says in verse 17, therefore, look at this, because of what he saw, uh, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, with devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him so therefore because of the idolatry and the current culture of his day and what he saw taking place the bible says he disputed that means he thoroughly discussed and argued and disputed or preached and reasoned right with those three class of people the people in the synagogue the religious people devout men men that were upper class and the people in the marketplace those perhaps were the lower class but it didn't matter who uh, paul preached to he pre preached the word he reasoned with them and disputed with them. Paul knew the solution for the problem was preaching. And that brings us to our next point. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 18. Look at verse 5. Paul's preaching. And when Silas and Timotheus will come down from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit. Look at this. And testified to the Jews that Jesus, look at this, is or was Christ. You know what Paul was saying? Paul had a strong burden to emphasize Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the one that will come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the one that would come and suffer and die for sinners. That would have been the center of his message. And we can get a glimpse of that when we go back to 1 Thessalonians 2. I want you to see this. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul describes his bold preaching and gives us a little bit more of an information regarding the content of his preaching. So he emphasized Jesus was Christ, but more than that, we see what kind of content, what kind of preaching he preached to those that were simply in Corinth, not only in the synagogue, but those also uh, Gentiles outside of the synagogue. I want you to see in verse 1, Paul explains the simplicity of his preaching. He says this, of 2 uh, Corinthians 2, sorry, 2 Corinthians 2, look at verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, look at this, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Remember, Paul was there to testify of Jesus being Christ. 
Alright, I want you to see verse 2. Paul describes the main message for his preaching. He says, For I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. You know, that's what's missing from preaching today. You know what's going on today? A lot of apologetics today. You know, people go on the street and they debate. You go on the online YouTube and they debate. It's all about apologetics. And you know what I say? It has its place. But now the preaching of the cross is somewhere in the back. The sufferings of Christ. Everything that simply uh, lays the foundation for Christianity is seldom unheard of. You don't hear it these days. You don't hear the preaching of the cross. You don't, when you go out soul winning and you, 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 you're seldom hearing people lifting up the name of Christ and what he came to do. He was crucified for sinners and people that are living in sin. He would have no doubt preached that main message, Christ crucified. And also the resurrection. There was no doubt about that. But look at verse 3. Paul lets them know his conduct in how he delivered his message. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much what? Trembling. You know why? Because it's not popular to be in people's faces and tell them that you're a sinner. And it's not popular to be in people's faces and say, you know what? And we're going to see it in a moment. If you don't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going straight to hell. Because that's what takes place out there. And you know what? The carnal Christians that's rippled with some sort of idolatry hears that and says, oh, don't be too harsh. But they don't understand the book of Acts and the heart of God and even Jesus when he, he, he gave warning and even the prophets. You know, why were the prophets time and time again stoned and killed? Because they told them, if you don't repent, if you don't turn to God, you're going to perish. God wants to forgive you, but if you don't turn to him, you'll die. And they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear the message of judgment. They didn't want to hear the message of warning. They want to hear the good stuff. And they were entertained by the good stuff. But you know what? It is good. The gospel is good news. But if you reject the gospel, we're going to see in a moment, God will reject you. And that's not a popular message. Paul the Apostle says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul knew, as a watchman, his responsibility to declare the whole counsel of God. No matter what happens. No matter whether he gets favour, he gets stoned, misunderstood. He knew that he had to declare the whole counsel of God. And he also knew that he'd get in trouble for it. But he'd rather be in trouble with men than with God. He trembled. Sometimes when I go out, I'm thinking, oh, here we go. My flesh says I don't want to go, but the Spirit stirs me up and says, you must go. Someone's got to tell them. And God has chosen us Christians in these last days to tell people and to warn them about the coming judgment. We saw it last week. And so look at verse 4. Paul describes the power of his preaching. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of what? Power. In other words, his preaching was not in his own eloquence or his, his phrases or his, 
you know, uh, nice big words. No, it was in the simplicity of the gospel, which the Spirit of God uses to, 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 or to convict and convince men. You say, oh, it's so simple. What's so good about it? Well, the Corinthians always wanted something new. They were wanting all, you know, this intellectual kind of knowledge, uh, puffing up kind of uh, approach. And, and, and Paul was rude in his speech, gave simple messages. And, and why? Because he knew that God will just use that truth to thrust it in the heart of people. Sometimes being too overbearing in, 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 in eloquence can undermine the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross is what it is. It may not be popular, it may be gruesome, it may be like, is that all? But to those that believe it, it is music to your ears. People don't understand the value of the cross because they don't see themselves as sinners in need of God. And so they tarnish it and to Christians they make it look like it's nothing. But to those that understand and what it means and, and, and what Christ went through and what God purposed and planned and how Jesus endured uh, the, the, the cross and all that and what he endured in the garden and all the way through Calvary, he understood those things. Uh, the Christian understands them and he hides them in his heart and they're the very things that keeps him going and they're the very things that keeps him preaching. That's what Paul, kept, Paul living, uh, kept the Apostle Paul living for God. You know what he says to the Corinthians? He says, I don't want to know anything else but Christ is crucified. That was the theme of his preaching and his life. And that, by the way, that's going to be the theme of heaven. Our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul, lets them de Paul describes the reason for his preaching. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in who? The power of God. See, Paul, all he wanted them is to simply rest in the very word of God, not in the eloquence or the charisma of men but in the simple, straightforward preaching of God's word, the simplicity of the word of God. You know why so many people have so many commentaries of different things of, of what we see in the, in the scripture and they want to tippy-toe and dance around them because they don't believe the simple word of God? If you were to just believe what God says and believe the Bible, it would work in your life, it would change your life. And that's what Paul wanted. You want to make it complicated. Men make it complicated. But God wants to make it simple so you would believe and be saved. Paul reminds the Corinthians in the second letter that Silas and Timothy were his helpers and also preached the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians 1 and look at verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and yea, but in him was yea. How we need more preachers or helpers of the preaching of God's word like that. Silas and Timothy preached like Paul. The simple gospel, the whole counsel of the gospel. See, because this is the solution to man's problem. What do you mean? Well, you, you, we don't have time to go there, but when the people in Athens were, 
uh, simply making these idols and they made one to the unknown God. They had this, uh, you know, superscription written on, 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 on the altar. You know why they had a superscription written on the altar called the unknown God? Just in case we missed one that was out there. Just in case. And you know what? Paul begins to say this unknown God. You know who he is? Let me tell you who he is. His name is Jesus. And he preaches. And what did he want them to do? Turn from their idolatry. Turn from their wicked ways. Tur turning from uh, worshipping the creature more than the creator. That's what repentance is all about. And come and embrace the one and true God. Now I want you to see, this leads us to the uh, next point, the pre-warning, verse 6. I want you to see in Acts 18. Look at this. And when they opposed themselves, look at it, they opposed themselves and blasphemed. So now, the people's response to Paul's preaching, what was the response? When Paul preached Jesus being the Christ and Jesus being crucified, how did they react? and How did they respond? I want you to see it. They opposed themselves. In other words, they resisted the, the truth to their own destruction. And they blasphemed. In any which way you see this blasphemy take place, whether they blasphemed Christ, used God's name in vain, or kind of swore, it was like they had a little fit. <laughs> That's what you see. You go out soul winning one day with us and you see people have a little fit. And people screaming down your neck. And blaspheme Christ. And why? Because the preaching of the word is peacing. That's what it's supposed to do. Why? Because it's supposed to help them come to Christ. It's supposed to help them repent and get right with God. This one lady yesterday said to me again, I hear her all the time over the years, your approach could be better. Tell me how. How would you approach people? Jesus went on the street and he spoke to people. He goes, but you're not Jesus. I said, of course I'm not Jesus, but I'm supposed to do what Jesus did, right? All these apostles and go out and approach people, confront people. It's a bit confronting. Yeah, it is confronting. But when someone approached me, it was music to my ears. The apostle Paul says it's some to save unto life and some to save unto death. It's how they react. And listen, we're not, listen, we're not responsible for the way people react. But again, the carnal Christian and one that doesn't really know his Bible saying, oh, how did you make that person angry? Well, the, well, the truth made them angry. The truth, they resisted it. They blasphemed. And, and we see this take place uh, by, by simply resisting the truth. Someone once said this, to reject the gospel is ultimately to oppose oneself. The unbelieving uh, or the unbeliever harms no one so much as himself. They do it to their own destruction. There's a big difference, or there are different responses to the gospel. And we're not simply uh, responsible for their responses. I want you to see some of these responses in Acts 17, verse 32, going back to the responses of those in Athens. And uh, the Bible says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead... Look at this. Some what? How does a person mock? See, we read that and we say some mock. How does a person mock? How does a person scoff? Well, they do it with vigor. 
they, they do it like similar to what they did to Jesus when he hung on the cross and they railed against him and they wagged their heads. <laughs> he, he, he saved others, but he can't save himself. <laughs> and all of a sudden it creates a scene. And who gets in trouble? The preacher does. But some mocked. And those people that mock ought never to phase the preacher from continuing to preach because the Bible says he, look at this, some mocked and others said, we'll hear this, thee again of this matter. In other words, there were some others that wanted to know more. They wanted to know more. This is what you call people on the fence. The mockers are unbelievers. These people that wanted to know more, people on the fence. And we have those people today. But look at this, I love this. He says in verse 33, So Paul departed from among them, how bit certain men clave unto him and what? What did they do? Believed. Certain men claved to Paul. Certain men despised Paul. Certain men were neutral. Other men claved to him. In other words, they embraced the gospel. These were believers as far as we're concerned. There's always a response to the truth of God's word. We're not responsible for the people's reactions to the truth. We are responsible to sow the seed faithfully. Come on, Christian, you know when you get to some hard parts of the gospel, you're reluctant to say them lest an outburst arises. You know. It's so, you know, Jesus loves you in God's mercy and grace and defining all these wonderful, we ought to, the whole council, remember, but when you start getting to repent and death and hell and sin, in the resurrection of the dead, you trace Paul's preaching, especially with Felix, when he spoke about the resurrection, when he spoke about that kind of uh, outline of his preaching, this means that every person will be raised and stand before God one day and give an account. You tell that to somebody. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account. You're going to stand before God one day and all the things that you have said, done and thought, God is going to simply expose you. If you reject Christ, God will judge you. Imagine that. Imagine telling that to somebody. Well, I want you to see Acts 18, look at verse 6. Paul's response to their, to their rejection. So how did, how did Paul respond when they kind of blasphemed and, and opposed themselves and maybe even rent their clothes or whatever. How did Paul respond? What did Paul say? Look at this. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. To shake one's raiment simply uh, means it's an act of judgment upon them. Those that reject Christ will be rejected by God and to shake your uh, raiment uh, simply means that you are uh, done with these people and God is going to judge you. Remember, Jesus taught this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14. Look at this. And he says, Whosoever shall not receive you, when he sent, the, when he sent them out, uh, whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of the house or city look, look what he says shake off the dust of your feet in other words if they don't receive the gospel you don't receive the truth uh, and they don't receive you because you have gone on a long journey that you, 
receiving you in that culture would have, they would have probably given you a drink, uh, washed your feet, anointed your head with oil. But if they didn't and they rejected you, you know what you do? You know what Jesus said you do? Do these ones. Why? Because it's judgment upon them. It was a form of judgment. And we see it in verse 15. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more what? Tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Wow! What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? What happened? He destroyed them with fire. Unrepentant sinners. And those that reject the gospel today will be judged severely by God. That's what he's saying here. We, we can't sugarcoat this. It says what it says. Doesn't it? And then look at number two. He says, Your blood be upon your own heads. Man, these are two severe statements that we see. His actions... Come on, like seriously, imagine seeing someone do that. And then your blood be upon your own head. You know what he's saying? He's simply saying that they are totally and completely responsible for their destruction. They got no one else to blame but themselves for rejecting the Savior. They were simply opposing Christ rejecting the gospel and it's your fault and when you die and stand before God and you'll be judged and thrown into hell it's because of you you got no one else to blame you're, you're going to be held fully responsible that's what he's saying when the religious rulers pressed Pilate to crucify Jesus you know when Pilate said what, what has he done and they forced him and they pushed him and then finally he gave in to content the people. He says, I'm innocent from the blood of his hands. You know what they said? The blood of him be upon us. You know what they're saying? We'll take full responsibility. But they, were, they lied. They reneged. You come to Acts chapter number 5, Peter was preaching. Acts chapter number 4, uh, Peter was preaching. He says, you crucified Christ. Acts 5, they try to shut him up as well as the disciples, throw him in prison. God leads them out. They go again. They said, didn't we tell you to shut up? I'm paraphrasing now for the sake of time. He says, why are you trying to bring the blood of this man upon us? Well, you're, you're the one that owned up and took responsibility for crucifying the Savior. And now they reneged. To have blood on your head simply means that you are responsible, listen, for your own death. If you die and you go to hell, it is your fault. By the way, that just tells us God doesn't want you to go there. God loves you. And we can say that very clearly. He gave His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only... Now, now it's making sense, doesn't it? Now you can preach the love of God and you can go for it. God gave heaven's best 
to save you from the penalty of sin. God loved you even though you were a sinner, even though you were in unbelief and rejected God's way. God sent his son to die in your place that if you believe on him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. I'm afraid some people are unmoved by God's love. You know why? Because they don't see their sin. They don't see their stubborn reactions toward God. They don't see their idolatry. They don't see their lust. They don't see their pride. They don't see their selfishness. They don't, they don't see how they worship the creature more than the creator and, give God, uh, and do not give God thanks and blaspheme his name. They don't see how they love pleasure more than God and love themselves more than God. They don't see it. So therefore, they do not see the love of God and what God did on the cross. To have blood on your hands, not on your head, simply means that you bear the responsibility of another person's death because you failed to warn them. You know what Paul the Apostle said? He said this, I am clean from henceforth. I am clean. There's no blood on my hands. Why? I told you. I go to the Gentiles. Now let me stop and say this. Paul's rejection of the Jews in that synagogue in Corinth does not mean that Paul was completely done preaching uh, to the Jews because in Ephesus he entered into the synagogue and he preached to the Jews there. He simply said to these Jews in Corinth, I'm done. I've come to you. I've preached the gospel. I'm now going to the Gentiles. And that he did. But it didn't mean that he was done with the Jews altogether. Remember the apostle said that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Why? Because it was the power of God and the salvation. To who first? To the Jews and then to the Greek and to anyone that believes. Paul was simply saying, I'm done with you. When we go and preach the gospel to people, we say, you know what, you know now. I was just sharing this with the evangelism course with some of the men. So we want to bring people to the point where they know that they're fully responsible for their decision. You have a decision to make. You can either receive Christ or reject Christ. My responsibility is to sow the seed and put forth the truth and your responsibility is to believe on it and receive it. The Bible says, as many as received him gave you power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. So some received it and some rejected. My responsibility is to tell them and I'm clean. It's not my responsibility. Listen, if you go to hell, it's not my responsibility. And it's not God's responsibility. It's your responsibility. I'm clean. God's clean. You know, for the, for the gospel to reach the Jews the way it did means that he wanted them to be saved. Now, in closing, I want you to see Ezekiel 33. And we're done. Ezekiel 33, and we'll look at a few other verses and we're done. Because I want you to see this. Look at verse 1 in Ezekiel 33. And again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man for their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he see the sword cometh upon the land, he blow the trumpet and he warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, 
if the sword come and take away, take him away, what will happen? His blood shall be upon his own what? Head. You know what he's saying? If the watchman blows the trumpet and he warns you from impending danger or judgment or whatever it is, and you do not take heed, and they come and you're gone and you're dead, you're, the blood's upon your head. You didn't want to listen. The trumpet was sounded, the watchman did his, you know, fulfilled his responsibility, but you didn't want to listen. You didn't want to take warning. And did you know God is blowing the trumpet throughout the world? Wisdom is crying out, calling men everywhere to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but people are not taking warning. Why? Because they're too busy with their idolatry and they're too busy with their gadgets and they're too busy with their, listen, lifestyle that God gave them. They're too busy. They're not taking warning. When the judgment comes and takes them away and the blood is upon their own head. I want you to see the next verse over here. Look at verse 10. Therefore, in Ezekiel 33, look at this. O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgression and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know what God is saying here? That if you die and judgment comes upon you, the blood be upon your head and that grieves God. You think God is happy to see you judged? No, it grieves him. He has no pleasure. What does he want the ungodly or the wicked to do? Have a look. Look at this. But, in the second part of verse 11, that the wicked turn from his way and what? Live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? And this reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 and 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered you of thy children together, even as hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. And look at this. And ye would not. For the most part, when people perish, whether it's Jew or Gentile, it's your fault. You die, you go to hell. God's not happy. It's against his will, but it's your fault. Israel want to reject God. They're going to be judged for it. It's your fault. Gentiles want to reject God. Going to be judged for it. It's your fault. The blood be upon your own head. You take full responsibility. Well, again, we go on the street. I sometimes, if I'm pressed in my heart with who it is before me, I say that, you know, I say, good. We'll take responsibility. And you will. And it could be in that day that when you stand before God, your tongue will cleave to your palate and your knees will knock and you won't say a word. Hush! And you will bow that knee, but it'll be too late. Who do you think you're dealing with? Who do you think you're dealing with? Dust, oh man, you're dust. 
You're nothing. And God knows that you're nothing. And he pities you. But yet you rise yourself as if you're something. You reject God. God will deal with you. Doesn't want to. You know why? Because he sent his son to die on your behalf. But you reject his son and step or trample on his blood. And God will judge you. But the blood will be upon your own head. You, you cannot, I don't care who you are, what you believe, Calvinist or non-Calvinist, judge God foolishly. It's your fault. You die and go to hell, it's because you rejected God. It's not because God never chose you. Guess what? God gave his son for the whole world and if you go to hell, it's because you rejected him. God... <laughs> God never made you in order for you to reject him. God made you in order for you to worship him. And the reason why people don't want to worship the holy God is because they're selfish. And they love darkness. And they love themselves. And they want to worship themselves. Listen, God's calling all men everywhere to repent. And if, if, it, if, it, if, if all men couldn't, then why would God call them to? Because they can, but they don't want to. So therefore the blood be upon your own head. You're not going to charge Paul or any preacher or the prophets foolishly. You're not going to change God foolishly and say, you made me this way. You made me to reject you. So huh, therefore I'll go to hell. No, sorry, my friend. That excuse will not stand in the courts of heaven. You'll be judged for your own sin in rejecting God. I am sick of this Calvinism business that wants to blame God for men's rebellion. If we're up to God, he'll save everybody. He'll give men faith to repent because he loves it. He, why will you die? Live! I want you to live. I want you to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. John chapter 5, verse 39, the Bible says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are, he says this, and they that are which testify of me, and you, he says this, and ye will not come. Why? And ye will not come, that ye may have what? There you go. But how can they come if you don't call them and give them the faith? And they're not the chosen. How, how can Jesus say this? Because it's not true. He wants them to come. They don't want to come and the blood be upon your own head. That's the truth. And that's what we see here in the scripture. They don't want to come. Majority of Israel reject God. Listen, and majority of the Gentiles reject God. Wide is the gate, brethren. And several weeks ago, I said, don't be a statistic. Don't be a statistic. Enter in. You know what Jesus said? Strive in to enter in the straight gate. In other words, come to him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by him. There's no other ways. He's the only way. And come through Christ and be saved. God is not willing that any should perish. And that's true. That verse is so simple that the scholars want to dance around it and, and complicate it because of their warped theology. I don't care who you are, where you're, where you're from, I believe the Bible. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. That's God's heart. That's always been God's heart from Genesis to Revelation. And he sounds, Revelation 22, say, come. And the Spirit of, and God say, come. And whoever thirsts, come. Come and drink, come and eat, come that you may have life. And men shake their heads. Hmm, no. Or blood be upon your own head. 
You know, there's one thing. When you die and go to hell, you can't charge God with. You cannot say you didn't know. Well, what about the people in the jungle? Man. What about the people over there in the other cities that didn't hear? Really? You, you all of a sudden care now. You become a good missionary. You become a good preacher. Let God deal with them. Are you hearing the gospel? Are you here today hearing the trumpet warning you to turn to God and believe on his son? Yeah, you are. Then why don't you just get yourself organized first? Worry about yourself. And then you can pray for people to get saved and you can be part of the ministry of reconciliation and you can work together with God reaching people. By the way, God doesn't need us. He can send his angels to do his work, but he chooses to use us. Can I say this, brethren? In closing, even if you don't blow the trumpet and tell or warn people, God holds you responsible. There's no doubt about that. You're responsible because you could have told them, but you didn't. But God will always send someone else to tell them if you don't do your work. They're not going to hell because you never told them. They're going to hell because they're sinners that reject God. That's why they're going to hell. Salvation is not dependent upon us. But God wants you to be a vessel to be used, working together to fulfill his will. And if you don't tell them, you don't tell your family or your friends or those that you bump into, if, if you've got blood on your hands and you're responsible. Now, you'll never be judged for your sin. We know that. We, we, we know that. But let me say this. You'll be judged for your service. You'll be judged for your 1 Corinthians 3. And not only this, 2 Timothy 2, you can be a good soldier or a bad soldier. You can entangle your, your life with the affairs of this world and, and live in such a way that doesn't exhibit Christi, a Christian life and God will, will be displeased with you. Or you can be a good soldier that pleases God and blows the trumpet. So I'm not blowing. I'm not blowing. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you don't have a testimony to testify. So I'm not blowing. Or maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you're not telling people about what God has done in your life because maybe you're not walking like you should. Maybe you're not being stirred in your spirit because you're not really having your affection set on things above. See people on the street, I talk to them, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. I said, wonderful, but is the choir singing? Are you singing? You can be in the choir and not sing and worship God. You can have the name Christianity. You can say, oh, I'm a watchman, all you want, and a soldier, but you're not blowing and you're not fighting the good fight of faith. You can say, you can have all these labels, but are you living? Christian, can you say that you're clean? You have clean hands with the people that you meet. Family, friends, people that you meet on the street. Like I said last week, you may not have time while you're working, filling up petrol, but you can leave one of these in someone's hand. Say, you know what? There's scripture here. It shows you how to get to heaven. Isn't that a good thing? But the reason why some people don't do this is because maybe they're not saved. Or maybe they're not walking right. Brethren, don't let there be blood on your hands. Friend, don't let there be blood upon your head. I beg you. This is the words of life. 
Our society is so dumbed down, Christianity is so dumbed down that preaching like this, people don't know what to do with it. I beg you, I beseech you, take it serious. Do something about it. Don't let there be blood upon your own hands and don't let there be blood upon your own head. Let's pray.